0: You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow
1: against holy living or against good works. And yet in the catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's word.
0: God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really
1: mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline.
0: Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Noah Kirstein. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. With Equipping the Saints, we are delving into the topic of living the Christian life, holy living the good works that follow and flow from the forgiveness, life, and salvation earned from us earned for us by the perfect life, obedient death, and glorious resurrection of Jesus. For the last several episodes, we've been working our way through the epistle of James. It's been a uh, good and fruitful discussion. In our last episode, we concluded James chapter 2, and so today in episode 56, we will be looking at James chapter 3. We've been working uh, pretty slow through uh, the book of James so far, and uh, I think now in the rest of the book we'll be able to move a little bit faster. James is unpacking themes uh, in more detail that he uh, introduced earlier. That's James style. That's uh, kind of the uh, Eastern style as well, kind of a circular way. And in uh, James chapter 1, Verse 19, James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In uh, the rest of chapter 1, he unpacks the quick to hear. And now in James chapter 3, in uh, great detail, in the first 12 verses, he unpacks the uh, phrase in James 1:19, "slow to speak." And uh, what he says is uh, extremely important, extremely profound, and in many, many ways, absolutely timeless. Vicar, do you want to share uh, James 3? And we want to look at the whole unit. I'm not sure how far we'll get today, but James 3, 1 to 12.
2: Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. But if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, Uh, we've got
0: some um, very, very specific teaching. We have uh, several memorable illustrations that James uses all of them teaching the same basic truth if you were going to sum up these 12 verses pastor um, how would you do it
1: (laughs) yeah great question huh Um, I'd say um, you can't um, you can't have it both ways right if you're a Christian you act like a Christian uh, and for that reason, not many of you should become uh, preachers, because when you're a preacher, you should act like a Christian. I don't okay.
0: Know. okay. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I, I keep coming back to that, uh, to that phrase toward the end of chapter one in uh, James, where it talks about the person who looks in the mirror and uh, then goes away and forgets what he looks like. I mean, that's, that's ludicrous. And yet, this this is exactly how Christians act in so many ways. And the uh, the part about cursing God and blessing God coming out of the same mouth that's just, that that's just a specific example of that whole mirror imagery. And so, um, yeah, we can't have it both ways, and uh, we want to have it both ways. We want to live in our sin, and yet claim the death and resurrection of Jesus for our own and uh, without godly repentance. And I think that this section here is really a call to repentance for the many and various ways that we sin with our mouth and our tongue. Um, Right off the bat in James 3 verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So um, Greek scholars that you two are, uh, help me out with this word teacher. Is it a generic teacher? Is it uh, the word for pastor? Uh, what, do, what do we have here? Let's make sure that we have the right thing uh, down before we go any farther.
1: Yeah, the word is uh, didaskaloi, which uh, is just plain teacher. Uh, It's related to the verb to teach, right, Uh, didasko. Uh, And so it it is just that kind of a regular form. Now in the early church, this is a reference to a part of the pastoral office. And so uh, James is making that statement that uh, not many of you should become preachers slash teachers uh, and enter that particular office. Now, I know today we would try and divide it up, right, and say, well, we have different things. We have teachers that are different than pastors at Lutheran schools and things like that. This is way before anything like that would un- understood. And so in James's vocabulary, I'd say he's talking about pastoral office.
0: Do you think this has anything to do, to do where Paul— in uh, First Corinthians thirteen, fourteen, uh, where he gives the instruction about uh, people speaking in church, where uh, women should keep quiet in the church, where there should be order. Uh, not everybody should be jumping up in the uh, in the assembly and asking questions. Uh, this this should be done in the right way. Uh, First Corinthians fourteen. 26 to 34. you think there's any any connections with Paul's exhortation with regard to how teachers should behave
1: I'm I'm sure there uh, there is and you have to remember this is very very early uh, in the history of the church and um, they're still as the church is exponentially growing and expanding uh, into new, uh, you know to use our modern terminology, new markets and things like that, um, there is probably a certain amount of chaos right uh, that is uh, uh, still reigning as a structure is being created and brought about uh, according to God's word. And so um, information like this is trying to create a orderly worship service in that regard. Um, it makes you wonder, uh, with all the things that we've talked about, even the hypothetical arguments that we got in chapter two, you know, is part of the issue that James is addressing that uh, there's been some sort of a teacher that's come in and said some of these things about, or even, um, what was the, the word that just escaped my mind, where they're showing preference for one group over another if there's a preacher that's come in and done that. And so he's addressed that issue specifically, and now he's saying this is part of the reason why not so many of you should become preachers and teachers.
0: Okay, yeah, there may be there may be that connection. Uh, so whether the whether the teacher is uh, the pastor in the pastoral office or anyone else who is teaching with any kind of authority in the church, a, a layman, for example, that's teaching, uh, they they have this warning. Um, about a stricter judgment not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that we he's using he's including himself here we who teach will be judged with greater strictness what's this about pastor this uh teachers are being judged with greater strictness
1: well um what it means is that when a pastor is preaching and teaching Um, that he is held to a high account because his word is um, the thing by which the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the church on earth. And so if he is leading people astray from Christ and and the faith in Christ, then um, he's, he's guilty of a sin uh, in God's eyes for doing so, for coming between God's people and God's word. Uh, and that there is a very strict judgment on that. That's why we take such care for our preachers and teachers to study and to learn before um, they become a pastor so that they might be able to preach the word in its truth and purity.
0: Vicar, what's at stake? When uh, when you have someone who is teaching in the church, uh, again, pastor or layman, what is at stake ultimately that there would be a um, greater strictness with regard to the judging of anyone who is teaching supposedly the truth of God's word?
2: Well, wherever you have falsehood, or a lie, particularly as you're teaching the faith, that is damaging towards people's faith and their souls. The devil can use any sort of false teaching to work his way in and destroy faith. So that's why it's very important that God's word is taught in its truth and purity, free from error, and why it's important for our teachers to be carefully examined and to actually know the things that they are to teach so as to not lead people astray, so as to not be false teachers.
0: Okay, and I, and I think that's, that's well said. And I, we need to be reminded of this. What's at stake are the souls of people that Jesus bled and died for. What's at stake is the eternal destiny of people who are going to hear um, this teaching. And so a teacher is held to a uh, higher standard. You go back to uh, Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 3, Uh, 33 where we have that dual um, example announcement of uh, the watchman at the gate Uh, the watchman has a a very very important job he is uh, charged with the care of souls and uh, if he teaches falsehood not only will his own soul be put in jeopardy but the souls of those he's entrusted to teach as well Oh, boy, that first segment went by very quickly. Equipping the Saints, we're beginning our look at James Chapter 3. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
1: You are listening to LP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. We're working our way through the Epistle of James. We are just beginning in this episode 56, our look at James chapter 3. Verse 1 talks about uh, the extra responsibility that people have who are teachers in the church. Uh, This is uh, specifically talking about the pastoral office, not exclusively, but specifically. And uh, the strict judgment that goes with anyone who purports to be a teacher in the church. It is a high and noble calling. Verse 2 then for we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man also able to bridle his whole body uh, pastor this uh, word for stumble um, that that seems like a significant word here in our uh, in our text James 3 verse 2 what can you tell us about it
1: yeah, the the word is uh ptio, and it is used um mostly in the book of James itself. It comes up here uh, three times, uh, Peter uses it once, and Paul uses it once in Romans. It is uh, a different word uh, than what is used by Christ himself in the Gospels when he talks about stumbling. It's a different word, uh, and, and that word just escaped my mind here for a second. But uh, uh, James uses this word. He's already used it in uh, chapter 2, two verse, verse 10. 10, for example. And
0: it's not translated stumble in the, uh, in the ESV, if I remember right.
1: Yeah, instead there it says, fails in one point, and that's kind of the idea, uh, is to cause to fall short or to be incomplete or to stumble, as it says here. Uh, that's the, the idea that's behind this particular word, and it'll be used, uh, again, it's used here twice in this particular verse, um, once in the, the plural and once in the singular, about the individual
0: So I get the word picture of when I am stumbling. Let's say I trip on a crack in the sidewalk. I'm walking. (laughs) I trip on the crack in the sidewalk. And I stumble and I'm awkward and I'm flailing and I catch myself and I don't fall down. Is that the kind of stumbling we're talking about here? Someone who stumbles at one point, but is not falling from the faith?
1: Um, I, th- I think yes, in this sense. I mean, so if you go outside of just the scriptures, the word is used uh, by like Pindar and uh, Sophocles and Plato uh, in that same idea where you're stumbling when you walk. Uh, now, the catching part—I don't know if that's included in that idea or not. Well, I'm just it, it, using that
0: as a personal example. Yeah, uh, it,
1: stumbling but not falling. Yeah, I—I th- I think you could understand it that way.
0: Be- because in verse two, uh, he says, uh, James says, "For we all stumble in many ways." James is including himself, that he's not above making a mistake. He's not above stumbling. But we're not saying that James has fallen from the faith and that he's not a true Christian just because of that stumbling. That's the point that I was trying to get at.
1: Yeah, I th- I think um, he he's making the exception here uh, to the rule, right? Um, he's not saying that... One must be perfect, right? And he even uses that, right? This complete man, right? Um, a requirement for being a pastor uh, or a teacher, as we're talking about, is not that you are perfect. Because that's that's impossible. You know, even Pastor Poppy is not perfect. Um, but... At the same time, there are strict judgments that are there, right? You will be judged by Christ for the things that you taught and the the souls of the people who were in your care as a preacher. And that is a serious thing. And that, you might say, well, then uh, this is uh, the whole dialogue uh, by St. John Chrysostom uh, uh, on the pastor or priest on the priesthood maybe is what it's called. Um, why should you be a pastor or why shouldn't you be a pastor, right? It is a hard, difficult, nearly impossible task to be a teacher and a preacher. And yet God knows that there is no perfect person out there to fulfill this uh, this office. So he does call and ordain uh, incomplete stumbling men to serve in the role to preach and teach. Now, that doesn't mean just anybody should do it, right? Any, uh, to use a modern term, doofus, uh, should just become a pastor.
0: Back in the olden days, we would have said any old Tom, Dick, or Harry.
1: Right. Okay. That's fine way to say it. Uh, it doesn't mean anybody should do it. It is a serious job. At the same time, it's not that you have to be perfect. I think that's the the tension that he's building here.
0: There's a progression here um, that he's using in these first couple of verses. Um Not everybody should be a teacher. Teachers have a strict judgment that they've been placed under by God. Everybody stumbles. And the way that we stumble the most is what's coming. We stumble the most by not being able to bridle our tongues. That's, that's the progression that's coming here in these first three verses. At the end of verse 2, um, if uh, he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So we've got that bridle word introduced here. And, uh, Pastor, you grew up with horses. I'm going to ask you about bridles here in a little bit. But Vicar... Um, Do you think James is alluding to something else in verse 2 when he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man? Um, None of us is perfect. James has just said, we all stumble. Is James alluding to some other perfect man?
2: Sure. I think in this verse he's, saying two things. First is that you know, if, if you are able to bridle your tongue and to say only good things ever, then the fact that you could bridle your whole body would just follow that. The tongue is the most difficult part of your body to control. Excellent. And there's only ever been one person who could, the man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I think,
0: I think that is sometimes missed when we're when we're looking at these exhortations and we're looking at this pretty harsh pretty severe law about all the different ways we sin with our tongue and but there is one who did not there is one who did bridle his tongue he bridled his whole body he bi- bridled his thoughts he bridled his he bridled everything because he was perfect he was perfect in every way shape and form and he was perfect for us and Right off the bat, we have this out here. He doesn't name Jesus, but he doesn't need to.
1: And uh, who better to know that than James, the brother of Jesus, right? Who even uh, even if Jesus only did it perfectly during the years that he was publicly ministering, uh, James would know when he was a child, right? Um whether you believe it's his biological brother, half-brother, or even just cousin, right? I know my cousins and what they do and what they say and how they act, and so uh, I think that is a great illusion that James is bringing out.
0: I think, uh, I think this, this allusion to Christ, and then I think some of what follows has to be autobiographical. He's got to be thinking about, about his time when he didn't know, he didn't believe, and he didn't care that Jesus was the Son of God and Savior of the world, and that by his own tongue and his own failure to bridle his tongue, he said vicious, poisonous things that were harmful to Christ and to the church. This is a call to repent. This is a call to repent. I want to hit on verse 3 now, Pastor, before we go to break. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us we guide their whole bodies as well this bit that we put into the mouths of horses is a bridle you grew up on on uh, an acreage where your mom had horses i don't know if uh, she let uh, you boys ride the horses once in a while too but she still has horses in their uh, in their retirement explain to Someone, like they're a preschooler who's never watched uh, an old country western movie, explain to a city folk what a bridle is and why a bridle is important.
1: Yeah, uh, a bridle is a, a series of leather straps with a metal bit. Uh, the metal bit goes into the horse's mouth and it fits behind their teeth Um, and there's kind of a gap there and the bridle sits right in that place and then it wraps around the rest of their head as well and this is actually what allows you to um, ride a horse easily uh, a horse, it's the steering wheel. It is a horse will go where its head goes. So if you turn the head to the right, the horse goes to the right. If you turn the head to the left, the horse goes to the left. If you give the horse his head, he goes faster, and if you pull back on his head, uh, then he slows down. And in that way, you control the the place that the horse will go, and even the speed that the horse will go. So now, you can do it of, in other ways. Is but this that's piece the of metal? Way.
0: Is this is this like magic? Is this like magic? It conveys your thoughts to the horse? Why, why a piece of metal in the horse's mouth?
1: Well, um, there's different types of bridles, right? Even different shapes uh, depending on your horse. If you have a naughty horse, you get one that digs into the top of their mouth. Uh, if you have a good horse, then you just have a simple chain. You know, there's all these different options. But um, the horse doesn't know any better than to go where its head is going. It wants to see where it's going. It wants to know where its foot is going to land. And uh, for that reason, it allows you to steer the entire body of the horse by following the head. And if you think about it, the same is true for people, right? If you point their head some direction, they generally will go that way. They don't want to walk where they can't see. And uh, the same is true for horses and other creatures.
0: So am I to understand that by pulling on the reins connected to this piece of metal in the horse's mouth, that it hurts the horse, and so it will move its head to avoid that discomfort?
1: Uh, Not generally. No, I mean, like I said, if you have a naughty horse, they have a a special kind of bridle that will make it uncomfortable. But generally, you want it to be comfortable for the horse uh, so that you can ride them for a long time. But it's, it's more than just the piece of metal. It's also the leather straps that go around the rest of the head that give you control of the entire head. And by controlling the head, the rest of the body goes with it.
0: Okay. Okay, so James is using the illustration about being able to bridle the whole body, verse 2 of James chapter 3, and then uses the specific example of the way everybody knows – That you drive a horse, ride a horse, if you want to say it that way. Um, We would talk about driving a car, the steering wheel, you turn the steering wheel to the right, the car goes to the right. You turn the steering wheel to the left, the uh, steering wheel goes to the left. Uh, Now we have fancy cars that have, if you drift to the left or to the right, warnings come up and they keep you from doing that, all that kind of stuff. But it is a basic principle. And now we're going to see how this tongue, Vicar talked about how this tongue is so powerful and it controls so much of what we do. The tongue is like a bit and bridle for a horse. But the illustrations are just getting started. We need to take a break. Equipping the Saints, James chapter 3. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship, would you please? Sunday mornings at 8 and 1030. Wednesday evenings, year-round at 6.30. If you're uh, not in the Lincoln area, you can listen to any of our worship services. They're broadcast live on KNNALP 95.7 here in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can listen, uh, download the app, or you can uh, listen on our website, TheCross957.org. Let's get back to James. We're uh, in James chapter 3, and we want to pick up at verse 4. We're talking about Um, bridling the tongue that's been the uh, illustration so far and now we have a new illustration that James uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit introduces us to in verse 4 look at the ships also though they are large and are driven by strong winds they are guided by a by a very small rudder Wherever the will of the pilot directs, Pastor, um, tell us a little bit about this illustration.
1: Yeah, uh, I think you know this is even the way we steer ships today. There hasn't uh, been a, a better way invented yet. I know. Today, we have props and things like that. And with multiple props, you can steer with more than just uh, uh, the rudder. But generally speaking, into a ship today, you turn a wheel and a teeny tiny little thing in in comparison to the rest of the size of the ship uh, moves and changes the flow of water out the back of the ship and uh, steers the front of it to travel where you wish to go. And uh, that's the way it worked back then. It's the way that it works now. And uh, that small, tiny thing... Just like a bridle over the head of a horse with the bit in the mouth, uh, that small tiny thing steers the entirety of the whole body. Now, um, we can talk about this on the individual level, but I also think this is uh, probably the bigger level too, right? With this idea of ship makes you think of uh, also the church uh, of God itself as a ship. And um, an entire congregation is steered by the tongue of the preacher who preaches God's word. And if he's preaching God's word and it's truth and purity, the congregation, the ship, heads uh, in the right direction. But if he uh, wanders away from God's word, then uh, maybe he, the congregation drifts closer to rocks or things like that, you know. So yeah. I, I think when we get to this particular one, that opens itself up to help us understand why not so many of you should be preachers.
0: I think, I think that is a good point. Uh, the point I wanted to make here is that you know, James has done this several times uh, already in the book, and he'll continue to do so. He makes a point, and then he gives two illustrations to cement that point. And no truth should be established without two witnesses. And so he makes this point about, you know, the strive to be the perfect man that bridles the whole body, and then he uses the bitten and bridle, and then he uses the rudder on the ship. So we've got the two illustrations there, the two witnesses. The horse has a will of its own. The ship doesn't. It's a completely inanimate object at the mercy of uh, the wind and the waves. And so we've got two completely different things and i think the ship imagery does take us right to the church as well we still use that ship language for the architecture of our of our congregations of our church buildings but making that point driving it home doubly so that the tongue is tiny in comparison to other parts of the body and yet it exerts great control
1: yeah and i think uh i mean to bring back my point again Over time, I think congregations do take on a little bit of the personality and hopefully definitely the theology of the pastors that lead them. And I think you see that in our own church body and across the entirety of the church. And uh, that's why it's so very, very important for a preacher to make sure that the word that he speaks is not his own word, so that the church is not taking on his personality, but rather that it is Christ's word that the congregation might take on Christ's. Personality, if you will, and, and I know that that's a little bit tenuous, but I'm trying to put it in words as best I can.
0: No, I think I think that's spot on, and uh, that's why pastors need to be reminded that they are not above reproach; uh, that they can and often do stumble in what they say, maybe uh, unintentionally, maybe intentionally, and uh, they need to be they need to be held to the standard of God's word, being faithful. We're not called to be popular. We're not called to uh, um, you know, be uh, dollars and cents uh, drivers. We are called to be faithful with regard to the word of God. And then in uh, James 3 verse 5 we have kind of a, a summary statement and in uh, most of the English text verse 5 is divided into two parts. Uh, I think that's By human intention, but um, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of these uh, boasts of great things. So that's kind of a summary of what we've had so far. Then the next part of verse five, he starts again and he's going to give us something new and it's going to just build and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I would submit that it brings us back to this whole judgment part. Second half of verse five, how great a forest! Is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now I know, Vicar. Immediately, when you see that second half of verse five, you are immediately drawn to your uh, Bible camp days, and it only takes a spark—Smoky
2: the Bear—to get
0: a fire going. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Vicar. Um, but it is a truth. It is a truth, yes. Only you can prevent forest fires. But, uh, you know, the old camp song, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. That song is intended that the spark is supposed to be good. But here in the text, it's anything but good. Um, A forest fire is destructive. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And then, Pastor, continuing on that thought in verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Holy hootman, these are some pretty strong words there at the Second half of verse five, and then the entirety of verse six is—is uh, is James employing hyperbole at this point?
1: Um, y- yes and no, <laughs> right? I mean, he is—it uh, is an extreme example, uh, but I think the warning that he's giving is very important, and and isn't uh, exaggerating it to, to the point of hyperbole. It is a serious thing that we need to be aware of.
0: A little spark sets the whole fire ablaze or the whole forest ablaze. We get that picture. And then he says, the tongue set among our members staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So you use the illustration before about uh, a pastor in a congregation and if he's teaching false doctrine um, the whole congregation is going to be led astray. Correct. Okay. So here without using that specific illustration about the pastor and the congregation James is saying that the root of this fire or uh, let's, let's say it again the source of this fire is hell itself. I suppose we could say when your tongue is acting this way, it is literally hellish or demonic. Is that going too far?
1: No, no. Or when the word that is being proclaimed to you is a false word, that's a hellish fire as well. And that's where... Uh, where it has its source and uh, where it has its ending as well in, in that sense.
0: So I don't want to read too much into this, but it seems to me that James is teaching us that the source of a poisonous, wicked, evil, false teaching tongue is hell itself. And when it is unleashed, it burns like the fires of hell in our life, in our society, in our family, in our congregation, consuming that which should not be consumed, and then if you put this back to James three verse one and how teachers are going to be uh, judged with a stricter judgment, you're it starts in hell and you're going to end up in hell if you believe this hellish stuff, vicar. You've been kind of nodding your head as I was making this this loop here with these first six verses of James 3. What What are your thoughts?
2: The tongue is, as James is saying, capable of doing great harm. It's also capable of doing great good. I mean, it delivers to you the gospel and God's word of life. When it doesn't, when it's used for evil, it delivers to you the hell hell's fire itself and like we've been saying it relates back to 3 verse 1 and teachers but also just in the life of a Christian your tongue can do more damage more quickly than it can build up over time the forest takes a while to grow back but it burns down really quickly
0: and we see that happening. We, we could give example ex- after example about how uh, a, a word of gossip or a word of innuendo has destroyed lives, destroyed marriages, destroyed careers, uh, destroyed societies. Um, we, could, we could go on and on about how um, in the church, one idea or question or false teaching <coughs> left unchecked, can lead people completely away from the church, maybe even the outgrowth of a false religion or a sect, um, thinking about the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, uh, all flowing out of, is Jesus really God or not? These things can happen, and they do happen. And that's why James, Pastor James, concerned for his flock and for the church in general, is warning us right here and right now about how important it is to have your tongue under control.
1: And if you look at the history of the ancient church and all of the uh, issues and heresies that are dealt with in the first several hundred years of Christianity, you see how these teeny tiny little things uh, which seem to be unimportant actually do lead to these bigger issues that need to get dealt with. Uh, you know what's the nature of Christ? Uh, what's the nature of the Holy Trinity? Uh, you know
0: what's the nature of the Lord's Supper? Right. What's the nature of Holy Baptism?
1: And and these tiny things. Uh, become big, huge issues that do lead people away from Christ, and that is the real issue.
0: And the way to to know whether this is happening or not is to examine it according to the word of truth, um, the implanted word that James has encouraged us to make a part of our life. We should be slow to speak and quick to listen. And to listen to what? Not every Tom, Dick, and Harry, uh, but to listen to the truth of God's word. And uh, that will expose the error. It will lift up the truth. And it will be a call to repentance when we stumble, because we can all stumble, and we often do. But that word of forgiveness not only forgives us, but literally empowers us to go forth with the truth. We need to take a short break. James chapter 3, Taming the Tongue. We'll be right back.
1: You are listening to KNNA LP, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. You
0: Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're working our way through the book of James. We just started James chapter 3 with this episode 56. You can check out other episodes of Equipping the Saints and hundreds and hundreds of other podcasts we put together. Just do a simple search for KNNA Theological Programming. That's K-N-N-A Theological Programming. And we thank, thank you for your support and your feedback as well. We're looking at this bigger section, James 3, 1 to 12. And uh, Vicar, would you share that with us to get it all fresh in our mind? And when Vicar's done, we're going to pick up at verse 7.
2: Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness.
0: Okay, James is uh, doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on his uh, exhortation to us with regard to sins of the tongue. Uh, Lenski, in uh, his commentary on page uh, 608, has these words to say, and I think this is a great uh, kind of a conclusion to verse 6 and uh, bridge to get us started with the rest of this section. No ordinary reader should have difficulty in understanding this. The tongue does not set fire to the whole round of our being or existence. Note how some bit of slander sets a whole village or a town afire, or see what vicious propaganda does in a whole nation or in many nations. International hatreds are thus fanned into wars. Consider the moral and the spiritual field. Vicious moral teaching, popular religious and doctrinal errors, rage like vast conflagrations and leave countless victims in their wake. The whole round of existence is set aflame by the evil tongue. Pastor, you have any uh, comments on Lenski's quote there?
1: Yeah, uh, no, I think that's a great thing. And uh, this is the way it is in so many congregations, so many towns, so many villages. Uh, this is—it's like the movie Jaws, right? Uh, the scary part in Jaws is not the rubber shark that's chasing the boat. The scary sh- part in Jaws is the way the co- uh, the the small village works. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> small town politics. This is a thing. reason why. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Government agencies. Uh, verse seven. We have um, for every kind of beast of the field and reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. Pastor, uh, do you have any pets? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, What do you have?
1: I have uh, a dog, and I have ducks.
0: Uh, Do you have to uh, muzzle your dog and uh, your ducks when people come over to visit?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, we sometimes have to put the dog away because – She'll lick you to death, I guess. Um, And uh, the ducks, you know, we we put away because uh, um, they're likely to get stepped on or uh, uh, they leave little presents all over the place. Uh, And so we we do kind of keep them corralled, but they are tameable. Uh, Our dog will sit when you tell her to sit. She'll walk next to you when you say heel. Uh, She'll go and find birds when you tell her to. And uh, then with our ducks, when you tell her not to, she'll leave them alone. Uh, even the ducks are tameable every night. They go into their house, and every morning they come out. They lay their eggs in the, the place that we've taught them to lay them, and uh, uh, they even, if you rattle a plastic cup with stuff in it, they think it's dinner time. They're, they're all tameable.
0: Uh, we have two cats, and uh, when the ice cubes come out of the ice cube maker in our refrigerator and clang on the cup, the cats come running because they want to drink Out of that ice water cup. And uh, I'm not going to say that my wife lets them, but my wife lets them. Okay, animals can be domesticated. Animals can be tamed. But verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Pastor Kuhlman would say it this way. The tongue cannot be potty trained. And uh that's that's maybe a little bit of an earthy way to say it um, do you think do you think James is speaking too uh, too strongly here when he uses the the phrase deadly poison
1: uh, no, I don't think so I mean um, <clears throat> it's interesting the the word choice there full of deadly poison it does. Kill people, and in that time period, very literally, it did as well. What's interesting about it is uh, the end of the Gospel of Mark, where it says, "You'll be able to drink a deadly poison, and it will not hurt you." One wonders if there's a connection there between those two different things, and what it is. I, I don't know what it is, but I just it's interesting. I was reading that section of Mark today.
0: I was uh, I was thinking of uh, a different kind of poison deadly poison that comes out of the mouth, and that's out of the mouth of a serpent. You know, we just uh, not too long ago had the uh, Old Testament reading from Numbers 21 and the uh, serpents, the asps that uh, God sent to the people in their grumbling, and they bit the people of Israel, and uh, they died because of the poison venom. Uh, I wonder if this is a reference back to the Garden of Eden and Satan, and the lies that Satan spoke, the deadly poison that he unleashed on Adam and Eve, and through them on all mankind. I think there, as as we've talked many times with James, there are many, many scriptural allusions in the words that he chooses.
1: And that might be true. Uh, that be. The interesting thing about the the end of the Gospel of Mark is that, you know, you see people bit by serpents, St. Paul, for example, and they live. You see other miracles and things, but the one that is foretold in Mark 16 that is never actually seen is drinking deadly poison but they do have lies spoken about them by the people in authority and that if that's the case that might be the solution that might be the
0: makings of an ascension day sermon or something there like that there you go um, vicar i want to i want to take a 9 and 10 together with it the tongue we bless our lord and father and with it we curse people who are made from the likeness of god from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. What do we call it, Vicar, when, one, when a person says one thing and does another? Or when their actions do not match uh, what they profess? Well, what, what are we talking about here? It shows a lack of integrity, and it means you're a hypocrite. You, you nailed it both. A lack of integrity and a hypocrite. Why is this particular hypocritical behavior
2: in verses 9 and 10 so bad? Because when we curse, we hurt those around us and sin against them and against God. So it is hypocritical for Christians. Again, going back to the, the mirror image, right? Right. You look in the mirror. You see you are one redeemed by God. He has made you holy and perfect. He has sanctified your mouth and your tongue to speak good and wholesome things. And yet so often we go out and say unwholesome things and curse instead of bless. Think how
0: often this would happen. You're driving down the, uh, driving down the road and you're just enjoying the beautiful day. And you're, just, you're thanking God for the gift of nature and all of the wonderful things that are going on around you. And then somebody cuts you off in traffic. And immediately, your mind, your lips, and maybe even your finger motions are, instead of thanking and blessing God, you're cursing the very likeness of God, that person that God put, you know, and that might be an extreme example, but we do it all the time. We do it all the time.
1: You're absolved.
0: Thank you. Pastor, I want to finish up this, uh, this section here. And we've got about uh, two minutes left Verses 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth the same from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grape vine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In all of these examples, James is emphasizing the same thing. What is it?
1: You, you can't be both, right? You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you say what God says. And if you're not a Christian, you don't say what God says. And uh, you can't be a Christian and then say something against God. And I think this is a, uh, a little section of Scripture that many, many Christians, so-called, uh, today need to wrestle with, uh, with things that they do uh, that don't actually match what God's Word says.
0: So it is the nature of a spring to produce either fresh water or bitter water. Correct. It is it is the nature. You cannot, you know, if you're if you're getting bitter water out of the spring, you can't change that spring into all of a sudden producing fresh water or vice versa. With all of these examples, he's talking about the nature of something. Can a fig tree bear olives? No, it is the nature of a fig tree to bear figs. Can an olive vine produce? Um, uh, or, uh. yeah, can a grapevine produce figs? No, it is the nature of a grapevine to produce grapes. It is the nature of a Christian to produce good fruit. It is the nature of a Christian heart that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, sanctified, made holy. It is the nature of a Christian to use the tongue for good and godly and holy things. If our tongue is producing things that are not good and godly and holy, the problem is the source. We don't just cut off our tongue and then we'll, we'll stop uh, sinning. That would be foolish. We sin in thought, word, and deed. We need to change the nature of the thing for the thing to produce something different. How does this work with a Christian pastor? How does a Christian who is plagued by not being able to bridle the tongue, how does he change his nature so that good flows rather than evil?
1: Well, the Christian should, by daily repentance, drown their sinful nature in the waters of holy baptism so that a new man may arise to live before God uh, and to be pleasing to God in that life that he lives. And so it is that entire life of a Christian is one of repentance and uh, absolution and uh, as a result of that repentance.
0: Only Jesus can change our nature, and that comes through the forgiveness of sins, that he... Earned on Calvary's cross, and He freely pours forth in the waters of holy baptism. Oh, sadly, we're out of time. James three one to twelve, episode fifty six. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again soon. God's blessings in Christ. You are listening to KNNALP
2: ninety five point seven FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.